Oh my god, really? No. No! Really? You weren't recording that whole time. Oh, none of this? None of it. No! Brrr. Really? Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> now what? Don't be deflated. Oh, well, that's sort of shitty. So anyways, there's, um, there's insider laws that, um, that Congress and stuff has been taking advantage of. <laughs> Is this how the show starts now? Brennan throws down the mic, walks out of the building. Ah, shit. That was a long time, too. That was an hour. That was an hour. Damn it. Well, do we start from the beginning? Final Fantasy VII. Dean has no beard now. Game of Thrones. Wicked naked boners. We throw swinging dick. So good. Dean soundboard. What was the other? Al Jazeera. Yep. So the scandal right now is I forgot to press record on the machine, so we just lost like an hour of things, and Brendan's mad at me. <laughs> I'm just even. <laughs> so we were doing pretty good. We were on a roll there. On. Yeah. Uh... And now like we'll never get back to that 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 part. Of, you know, the conversation is going to be shitty for the next hour. Just like yeah. <sighs> I forgot how to talk, guys. <laughs> is there a sandwich traumatized? Well, I love the chewing noises. There's no chewing today. I got what other what snacks do I got? I don't know what I can contribute. Oh, there's uh there's some trail mix stuff. There's some pistachios and things on the on the corner there. I'm good. You want to hit it? Brennan's got the wireless mic. Do you want to grab the almonds? All right. <laughs> She's just just oh, whoa, 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 whoa 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 oh here okay. The headphones are plugged in. Yeah. So what's going on with Buzz Records these days? <laughs> Oh, Jesse. We're headed into the, uh, we're headed into, uh, sub in for Hussy for a while. Oh, no, just, just, uh, just one show. It's on Saturday. Where are they playing? Uh, the court. Oh, fuck, I don't even remember. Courthouse? Some courthouse somewhere? No, it's called the court day. I can't remember where, where it is, actually. It's the destruction base? unit. Uh, guitar. Nice. Is it nice to kind of like take a? It's weird when you like sub in on a project where you just can be a hired gun or whatever because there's it feels like there's no pressure or anything. You can just kinda... yeah, it's fun. It seems like a fun idea. We'll see. Yeah, unless Anna ends up doing it, but oh, there's a chance that you might get you're <laughs> yeah. the understudy. Yeah, <laughs> understudy. But it'd be fun to do that for you know. One or two shows for some bands. I don't know. It'd be, cool. It'd be cool to do. Did you ever hear that thing about how while Nirvana was on tour, Dave Grohl would just like come and? I think I heard that on this podcast. In the uh, the thing and was that like, on this podcast once? On I don't know. Maybe he just like answered indie uh, post things for drummers and show up on the on the spot. <laughs> and they go like, "Yeah, so can you drum?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm all right." And just jam <laughs> with them for a while and then move on. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's, it'd be fun to just like. I've done that before, just filled in for, for like here and there, show here and there. It's fun to not really be attached to it and just have it in the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. Learn the songs, keep them there. Because stuff becomes work after a while, right? Like in the beginning when you're just jamming and stuff and going to shows, 
it can be like super loose and you don't have to take it too seriously. And then you reach a tipping point where like suddenly everybody starts to think, are we a big deal? If we're a big deal, maybe we should have more meetings and stuff. <laughs> should we have a band meeting? Do we need a, a lawyer? Do we have to read this? Con Do we need contracts with each other? What if you become an asshole later on? Who's going to get the car when we're done? Car. car. <laughs> Did you read um, uh, David Byrne's How Music Works? No. It's a it's an interesting book. It's not like perfect, but um, there's sections in it about business that I found really interesting. Because he comes from... Um, and he's he's kind of seen the whole arc of it, right? Like they were kind of an underground band that went to becoming pretty famous in the eighties and now he's on the back slope of it where like he's still legit enough to have concerts in large places if he wanted it and he collaborate with whoever he wants, but he's also interested in just kind of having no strings attached and doing like indie type of stuff where he records it in his uh, Brooklyn apartment. So he kind of has like insights on every um, period in music. And he was talking about uh, the idea that um, when you see huge stars like Lady Gaga or MC Hammer, um, particularly somebody like MC Hammer who was mega famous, and then all of a sudden they implode and they end up, you hear stories about them being broke and trying to figure out what to do with their lives. And he's like, oh, he's working as a rock and roll preacher. That's, that's MC Hammer's new new thing. He's just uh, hitting the mic and, and all that. And you're, you go like, well, how does somebody fall that far? And David Byrne was just talking about how like it's, it's not um, hard to believe because uh, every time you see a, a person like Lady Gaga showing up at a football stadium with an entourage of limousines and bouncers and crazy costumes and pyro and stuff, it's all coming off of like her uh, advance and stuff with the record and her deal. Right, so sometimes these people who seem to be selling a lot of records and seem to have like this giant aura of like um, gold-plated lifestyle, um, they're actually broke. Like they owe the, the the record label, you know, four million dollars, and the house that they're living in is just a lease, and the car that they're driving is is not owned by them. Like it's all just. Oh yeah, I mean that's a lot of the old major label system, and that's how they sucked a lot of. People bands into a deep hole and then you can't get out and you're just like stuck mm -hmm. making, making records music, for yeah. this shit but everybody else is the one that makes money on music it's like, yeah it's yeah. never the musicians he was showing the pie and how it broke down and the weird system i don't know if it's still the case now but like the producer gets like points on the record uh like i mean this is all major label stuff but yeah i mean like if you know mc hammer produced your record and he could take points on it if he wanted to a big part of their their thing and he was he it's was, like lady gaga like they have songwriters for all that stuff like a bunch of the songwriters are getting money for all those tunes like mm -hmm. i think different people write all the songs on all those records they just like pick and choose like that's a that's a hit i'll give that one to lady gaga yeah well and i think i think there's even like so many hands on one song like the different parts um, I was looking at, like, the beginning of New Jack style, like, when Jackson 5 were big and, like, New Edition, and looking at how many writing credits were on their big hit songs, like, ten. Ten names on this, like, one hit song. And I started, like, breaking it up in my head of, like, okay, well... Yeah, who's getting a piece of this, or... 
in terms of writing, like who's just who's just attached their name to the writing credit, who hasn't done any work, and how how many times could you split this song up? How many different elements can you pull out and lay on their own and give to different people? Like, did mm. one guy just write the one hook? Did one guy write yeah. the, like the synth line? Did one guy write like like just a part of a verse? Like, how does that get split up? And how much money are these like ten guys making? Or do they just have like a a sweatshop crew that is just a bunch of guys jamming out in a studio somewhere, and they divide it five ways whenever the the track gets picked up? Yeah, maybe. There's a bunch of different stuff. There's um, a guy that uh, works like at Spadina there, and he wrote a bunch of stuff for like uh, like uh, Rihanna and and Britney Spears or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's just like one dude, just like writing beats all day and then just yeah 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 and it's like get someone else to sing that and, but think about it you, just, you write one or two of those massive hits and like you're, that guy's probably set now he's got like, the touch like yeah. Pharrell that guy's mm-hmm. he's like the unspoken hero of like yeah. so many hit songs Ghostwriter. yeah he's done like a bajillion things and like he's obviously everybody kind of knows him now but he's kind of just the guy behind all the guys like uh, writing all the that's songs that's what Lady Gaga did right like she was writing the stuff behind the scenes oh was she like, maybe I'll do it myself that's that's weird because she can't. She doesn't have very good songs. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I don't need to. Poker I don't face? mean to hate on her. That, that, but if you actually think compared to her to uh, to Katy Perry or something like, you know, a lot of Katy Perry songs like Lady Gaga. Like, I don't know any of either of them really. But I, if you're gonna compare like yeah. those kind of pop stars like Poker Face, okay, that's the Paparazzi. only song. Okay, two songs. I don't, yeah, I don't know what he's talking. And about. I don't. I just know those songs by name over like actually hearing it. You would be surprised. I mean, it, the funny thing about watching Lady Gaga stuff is she recycles so many Marilyn Manson things from the '90s. But I can see that it's a, the twist on it is funny. Like you don't make the associ- the fans don't make the association, but it's the same camera tricks and the same <laughs> weird combinations of of influences. Oh she God. should to hook up with Marilyn Manson. They'd be like. Totally. That could, that could work somehow. They put some sort of prosthesis on make, her. Make like a twisted version of uh, like... What's that M. Ward, Zoe Deschanel band? Him and her or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> she and him? <laughs> It'd have to be Glam Marilyn Manson. Glam Manson? Glam Manson. And then... That didn't last long. No. He's a he's a strange fellow. He's very, very intelligent. Mm-hmm. And like... I don't know if he still is... Uh, he, he's not intelligent anymore. <laughs> he lost it. We'll see. He lost it. Uh, yeah, I've, I've never really been in, that into his music. Like, even as a kid, uh, even at that stage of music appreciation in my life, I still lent more toward, like, Tool. Mm-hmm. I was into, like, the proggy side of things. I yeah. didn't really dig the whole, like, Nine Inch Nails or uh, Marilyn Manson thing that a lot of people I knew did. Mm-hmm really into it yeah tool always was always slightly cooler and i mean even to this day like maynard is is growing wine and stuff and <laughs> you know it, it seems a bit more appropriate for his age and stuff that he's he's he kind of acknowledges that like uh when he does do music that it's he's he's the old guy and he's kind of just doing it because he still has fun and that there's still people that are interested in hearing it but it's not like he doesn't have that weird pretension where he walks around and still pretends like he's the king of, of music. 
Like, you know yeah. how Bono made that pronouncement? He's like, we're going to be the biggest band in the world again. And then he started making moves to make it real, right? We're going to do the the, the uh, Super Bowl uh, halftime show, and we're going to do deals with iPod and, and things. And God, I hate fucking you too. <laughs> gives a lot of money to charity. Yeah, well, whatever. That's good of him. Mm-hmm. But I mean, charity. charity. What, I wonder what happened if he actually met Bono because he gets he gets a lot of hate. And yeah, imagine he was here though. What, he's probably all right. Oh, I, I'm sure that he'd be really interesting to talk to if yeah. he could take the sunglasses off. And we're like, I don't think he can. <laughs> That's like a contractual thing. He's like Jordan LaForge. He needs those to see. Okay, Bono. They're Sit like down. attached gonna, to his head. We're gonna have a conversation, and you're gonna you're gonna be under a pseudonym, so you don't have to you don't have to act or say anything that Bono would say. You know, it, I saw the, the funniest, most recent um, thing that I saw that annoyed me was they were doing a documentary on Charles Bukowski, who's like the least pretentious poet in the world right he just writes poetry about being old and drunk in los angeles and having sex with ugly women and seeing the beauty in that all and then you hear uh bono talk about it and he's sitting by a campfire and he's he opens up charles bukowski's novel he's and he's reading the same poem that charles bukowski read like 15 minutes earlier but immediately you're like Oh God, that poem's terrible. Coming out of <laughs> coming out of Bono's mouth, where he's just like, "I saw it by the window, and I, I saw the woman, the drunk. She leaned over in the alley, and I saw her heroin marks. And I said, I could I could tap that or something <laughs> in the dusty moors of Ireland." <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, he always has that really measured, patient way of speaking that makes everything sound like it's the most important sentence ever. But there's something about, like, Charles Bukowski that's supposed to be the, the opposite of that. Like, he's supposed to be taking the piss out of out all those things. Like, I feel like that's... This is Charles Bukowski coming to you on a bright summer afternoon all by myself with the blinds drawn. <laughs> I'm going to finish my beer before this next recording. You know, he's he's got that, that great style. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's a pretension to everything U2 does. Like, anything I've ever heard. I don't listen to their music routinely, or mm -hmm. ever. Can I just grab some water? Mm -hmm. Break time. Uh, you can go. He can go, and you can continue your yeah. pretension thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. Every any of you two song I've ever heard has just been like super overproduced and like weird big rock, mm -hmm. big dick rock, as yeah. I like to refer to it. Um, and like there's that s single they had back with it, the iPod deal, just like a really good portion of the song. So I'm just going yeah 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 yeah, just like basically like an affirmation of his own awesomeness. Just yeah. fucking walking around the stage, just screaming. And the if word. you had any doubt, the music video that came out with that album was like good Bono and good U2 versus like evil Bono and evil U2. And they were battling with sound waves. So like the edge would like fire sound waves at the bad edge and then Bono would like fire bad, the good sound waves at the bad Bono. Yeah. And they went back and forth. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> How did they come up with that? How, how many rock bands do you think have the same pop 
uh, pop writing teams behind them. Imagine it was all of them were the same, like five motherfuckers. Well, it's like I've written every hit song on I the think top forty. You two writes their own stuff though. You two, but I, but I'm speaking more. To, it was sort of like you know in the '90s, especially all these sort of like, like big grunge bands, grunge bands, and like alt. Wait, wasn't radio that rock supposed bands? to be in this podcast? We're supposed to talk about. Can-Con? Yeah, we, well, not just CanCon, but just bad radio rock <laughs> from like 1995 to 2000 mm-hmm. is like a pretty good period. You get a lot of those like, where's my remote control? Like, that's got to be written by like a bunch of people. No, that's... No. Uh, it's electric. funny because uh, to bring up that band, because uh, uh, there's some song on the radio and I heard and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like... Something like, got my headphones on, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, it was like, obviously, like, it could be in a headphone commercial. Like, it was yeah. really, I don't know, obvious or something. I don't know how to describe it. But anyway, if it turns out it was like those guys, like Age of Electric, Limb Lifter. They're back, uh, and, yeah. But with, like, a couple other CanCon like superheroes from that time. Oh man. Like did a super group and this oh, this is fuck. a new song that's on the radio. I think it was even on the Polaris list. Oh, you've you stumbled on called? something here. <laughs> okay, what we gotta do is we gotta do an a uh, expendable style CanCon <laughs> super group that's got fucking Alanis Morissette and fucking who Sarah else? McLaughlin. Sarah McLaughlin, uh Dude Rain Maida. Ashley McIsaac. <laughs> Um, fucking Edwin. Edwin. Um, just get all of I'm Mother Earth in there. All of my other. Summertime in the void. Uh, Len. Um, oh, you know, I think it's fucking Chris Shepard. Can we get Chris Shepard coming at you? Who's the- someone that was in Len? It was also in Broken Social Scene. I'm pretty sure. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> kill two birds with one stone. And anyways, we'll get them all together. They'll, their first show will be at Casino Niagara <laughs> with, like, Ringo Starr's super group. But that's, this has to be in, like, ten years. Oh, that when, long? Yeah, I'm yeah, do yeah, that yeah. This summer. No, no, in ten years. <laughs> I got a weekend off. When we're all at gambling age. When we all want to go see stuff at, like, Casinorama. <laughs> then we want to get that super group together. It's too, it's, hand in my pocket. Yeah, it's too soon. <laughs> It's too soon. It, uh, the the taste of the land is more like now? Oh god, I hope not. she's doing a musical. I heard. Oh no, oh, god, which is also perfect. Did you remember oh. seeing her doing that? Uh, I hate that cover musicals. of Fergie's "My Hump." Did you ever see that? Alanis <laughs> Morissette did a piano, serious version oh. of "My Hump," but she redid the video exactly the same. So it's Alanis Morissette going like "My Hump, My Hump." My hump, like with like just deep piano music. Is it? Is but it her la- lady lumps or something. Yeah, My she's bouncing lady. around in like a a onesie with like guys like rubbing up on her in slow motion, but singing the song. And she was she was sort of trying to do a weird owl nice thing. <laughs> it was working too. It was pretty funny. I I like to see her in that light. Yeah, she could totally. Yeah. I would buy an album. Richard Cheese style of her just doing <laughs> piano covers, really serious piano covers, and like pop '90s covers. Of you don't really think that bad. would get old after the one song's over? You're like, oh, here's another ballad. I don't she know. Could go back to just Alanis, and it'd I'd be like, called 
it's come to this. It's come to this. <laughs> After we had that little weird owl thing, I tried to listen to the CD and I was like, I turned it off. It's a lot to take. You it's can't, too much. Like, you can't have too much weird owl. It's good to have one track a day. Yeah. Like the way he did it. That was my first concert ever. Weird when I was a kid. Owl? So I'm, yeah. Oh, that would be so that's that's When I was like six or seven. Yeah. Oh my God. That yeah. would be great. It was fucking hilarious. And he closed with Piggy Pot Pie. He did like an <laughs> encore. Piggy Pot Pie. Da, da, da. Live and Let Die. Great. When I was uh, ten or eleven, I didn't listen to any good music. Like I had absolutely no mu- musical education. So when I got the best of Weird Al, I thought he was the greatest songwriter in the world because <laughs> I didn't know any of the original songs. I was just like, he's so catchy. Every fucking song on this tape is a hit, and he's so clever. And then I went to a party in like grade six or grade seven, and me and uh, my friend Richard Highfield wanted to put on the Weird Al tape. And it was just the two of us. You know that party killer thing where you yeah. put on your own music and you're just like, everybody's just Record like, player what the screeches fuck are you playing? Get out. <laughs> like a surgeon. Pop, pop and chip party? Totally. <laughs> Sweet pop and chip party. Maybe it's fitting then. Spin the bottle. Yeah. To Weird Al. That's I, not sexy. He's, he's doing, like, he has... Uh, an interesting career in that he's maybe the only parody artist to ever have like hits, mm-hmm. like fucking hits, hits. huge hits, H- huge ones, just big old hit, big tunes. <laughs> Did we talk about uh, Boner Revolution again? You want to talk about the Boner Revolution? <laughs> We should get that boner revolution like, going. You can't live in the past, dude. So yeah, we just I just wanted to recap the, the part that nobody heard. We had an hour of gold where we talked about video game music and Final Fantasy. Uh, we talked about boners Robo on TV. Cop. Robocop. We had a great Robocop shout out. Bit of Total Recall. Total Recall. And it was all District lost nine. to the ages. Down we did a recap. We did that. That's fine. Yeah, that's true. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> we're just shaming you for it. Yeah. That's all. Well, I mean, the recorder is pointed in your direction, so you could have seen it. <laughs> and I did. It helped me out, co-host. Yeah. Are you guys for sure that I didn't record? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Sorry. <sighs> Pretty brutal. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. We'll live. I was thinking, like, so th- again, like all those rock bands. Maybe having like ghostwriters behind them, there's got there's got to be like an interesting career in that. Mm-hmm. Like if you ne- if you just never wanted to be, I wrote in a Bush band. X's biggest biggest hits. hits. Breathe in, breathe out. <laughs> oh man, got a machine here, but I'm on the rust. <laughs> Do you think that music will ever come back? Like like that though, like you know how everything's sort of cyclical. Like uh, some music's gonna like pay attention to the last ten years in new rock. All of that shit is so boring. Yeah, it's it's like uh, it doesn't have that edge though. That the rock, all of that stuff is for super losers. David Usher. You know what's what's crazy is that something like uh, Insane Clown Posse has somehow like morphed and become like its own subculture. Like that, the whole thing with like the meeting of the juggalos and stuff. Like they're a major force in culture among like a certain type of trailer park. Who the clown guys? The same yeah. clown posse. Like watch the the documentary and the following on like gathering of the juggalos. Are, are it's they crazy. Super re- Hundreds what, what of thousands it? of people showing up to their shows and like in face paint, and it's a whole subculture of of kind of like trashy 
they came out as being evangelical Christians. Yeah, I heard a couple about of years that. ago, and they so were now like, they actually have a following based on that. Like they're religious, like well, like weird see, clown. I I did see some like new video that they had, and they're like in in heaven or something. Yeah, that magnets. How do they? Yeah, work? fucking magnets. How do oh, they? Oh yeah. Work? But they, but the thing is, they're their right. their career stretching back. <laughs> like if you go listen to that, their old music, they have that sort of Eminem vibe, where some of their music is just like, I fucked your sister and I punched your dad in his fucking face, and just like, I fucked your sister and I punched the Mister. Yeah, j- just <laughs> s- stupid shit like that, like really aggressive stuff that like a fourteen year old like disgruntled white kid would be like, yeah, fucking stupid assholes, like, and then they've they've done that this really violent sort of crude thing and now they've come out as evangelical Christians and they've openly said that their plot as Christians was gain the kids trust whoa like get a, Trojan get, horse. get a kids trust when they're like young appeal to like they were like angry too and they're like taking it out but like gain kids trust and then sort of like try and spread their like Christian message through maturity, like as mm. they mature and all of their like listeners mature, now they've come out being like, you know, like you gotta believe in God and you gotta be like good people. You know who was the original rock star? <laughs> JC. <laughs> JC. He walked on water, man. And he oh, saved you. Jesus. Yeah. He's pretty metal. Johnny Jesus Cash. Christ. Johnny Cash. He got, nailed. <laughs> he got nailed to a board for what he believed. That's pretty in. black metal. <laughs> totally. Fucking. Jesus was a. Uh, a black metal artist. Oh, but yeah, yeah, you watch these Gathering of the Juggalos videos, and the, it's way more hardcore than like anything that you'd see at a, a modern like metal thing, like a Mastodon show or whatever. Like um, Joe Rogan's friend went to go do stand up comedy at the Gathering of the Juggalos, and they were throwing like full cans of pop at his head and stuff. Right, like they, you, your life is on the line unless the Juggalos like give you their blessing and tell the crowd not to tear you apart. Well, this is this is just the concept that they proved when they did that like 90s Woodstock mm-hmm. and you get a bunch of bands that make people angry together. Yeah. Like you just get Limp Bizkit and Corn and like all these people on the stage and Limp Bizkit comes out and they're like, tear this motherfucker down! And everyone's <laughs> like, yeah! And they start burning everything and like tearing the fucking sound booth down. And mistake number one, okay, let's completely destroy the 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 atmosphere of the original Woodstock by holding this in a high security Air Force base where he on a water's ten dollars tarmac yeah on a, a steaming hot tarmac where water is ten dollars and we'll have all the angriest bands come on and encourage the people to riot yeah what yeah. happens <laughs> turn this motherfucker out <laughs> fucking yeah Fred Durst what the fuck is that guy I heard to? he has a documentary. About oh, how he started that riot. No, it's, uh, some, it's like a comedy documentary. Or the something. chocolate stuffish. I don't know what it's about. And the chocolate stuffish. <laughs> God. They were fucking big shit mm. for a while. Why? I don't really get it. It was a manufactured thing. Yeah, that has was to it? be another yeah. one. Yeah. What do you mean? So, like, I remember vividly in the late high school or whatever where i was tuning oh, into like I, the much music this countdown was, this was on one of your pods. yeah totally okay. i mentioned this before where it's like you saw limp but, biscuit but, and they but were they weren't the actually countdown. fabricated as in like the band wasn't fabricated like, no they're, they're a real band their success was fabricated but like what happened in but that, the late I mean, you can see that about 90s anything that's popular they, they had such a lockdown the record companies owned all of the distribution networks 
and the radio stations. Yeah, so but they just decide. But that's like not a new. That one. is not a new concept. It's always no. been like that. It yeah. got to its peak in the late nineties, two thousand. It's still happening, and that's like, why they flipped out about Napster is because they were so excited that they were able to like take something from start to finish. Where they're like, "We did it. We we broke crack the code. Insync crack the code." Where they were like, "We put together this band. We wrote the songs. We made it number one, and then." people believed in it as number one so they all bought the record and the thing that napster changed was that you can crack the code and advertise the hell out of things but if people don't turn around and like make it actually number one by believing the story and buying the record then it breaks down because you spent all that money and you didn't actually get any return on it but that's pretty much what's happening now right because mm-hmm. they they still spend all this money but the return's not there because like mm-hmm. people aren't buying records but they are charging like Katy Perry was like three three fifty. I heard three hundred and fifty dollars to get a to ticket. Show? What? So your dad, you know, and then it's just like, <laughs> oh shit! And then that two tickets, you're like in seven hundred bucks. Princess, I love you, but I can't afford Katy Perry tickets. And then they got they got that fucking Ticketmaster locked down. They're charging like a hundred percent service fees. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. And isn't there like, Dude, a like new? the tickets are so expensive? Yeah, for all these shows, like everything, like is gone way up. And isn't there a new like uh, scalper service too? Where yeah, there's some crazy shit with that stuff too. They figured out a way to to corporatize scalping too, where like you sell your ticket back to them <laughs> to show you. Can oh, go the funny part is like I can barely remember any shows at like Ticketmaster level that I actually go to anymore. Yeah, I think maybe the only one that I actually got from Ticket, if it was from Ticketmaster, I'm not sure. No, it might have been like something else, something lower. But I've got like. Shadowy Men at least Palace. That can't be. No, it was like a, it was a smaller one for Have sure. Have they mainstreamed it enough where if you've got an event, Ticketmaster will sell tickets for you if you just sign up to their thing, or do they stick to only? There, there's a. It's for a certain level. Yeah, yeah, certain yeah. level. Because that would be the obvious next step, right? Like they just have all the infrastructure there, so. If you need Ticketmaster to help you print out tickets and mail them to people, then they'll do that for a fee. This, uh, the, the, there's people that do that kind of locally. Like, Toronto sort of has that, like, soundscapes and rotate this thing going on mm. where, like, if you have an event, like, they'll sell tickets mm. for you. Mm. Mm. So good. Fresh pistachios. That's kind of the obvious... An obvious um, thing for a record store to do is to get extra income by becoming like a ticket thing. I really liked um, when Sound Sonic Boom was doing like the live shows and stuff in the basement. They still, they still do that. Yeah. yeah, still do. It's a dollar store now, isn't it? Like where? Well, they, where it it's used at, to be. It's at Honest Ed's. And now they're gonna get kicked out of Honest Ed's on. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. They're moving. They're moving. They've. Uh, they're consolidating their. Uh, <laughs> Both their stores, into both Sonic Booms into one one store now. Yeah, I forget where it is, but it's gonna be a, like a pretty good location. And they're just yeah moving it on sets because obviously it's gonna get, become a fucking condo. Hmm. And that's I think such they, bullshit. Man, what the shit, eh? And the Sterling Lofts are gonna be gone in a few years. Yeah, and... condos, condos, condos. That because I just moved on to Symington into your old house, Dean. Yeah, that's <laughs> so weird. So weird. And the you're not in the attic though. No, I'm in the second floor. My friend Eric lives in the attic. Um. So you pass through there. Oh, I get to use that sweet up- upstairs patio, which is fucking awesome. <laughs> that, the, the deck thing? Yeah, the little deck. 
But that area is definitely prime for a takedown. Mm. Like, they're setting it up to build lofts and uh, and condos. And it, it was like before, like five years ago, Lansdowne and Bloor was a pretty shitty place. Yeah, it was like, terrible. Terrible. And there'd be like crackheads hanging out there and a lot of people asking for money. And at a certain point, it was like one of the areas in Toronto, like kind of downtown, where if I was walking around at 3, 4 in the morning, sort of drunk, I was really aware but what I was it, doing, being careful. It's like maybe only two years ago that it's really started to change. And now, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm not, it's not even there yet, but it's going to be like, that's it. Like There are some clingers on in the neighborhood, people who live there, but you can even see the bars that used to be sort of like the local pl- the local watering hole that had cheap beer is now purposefully pricing their beer higher to keep the local like drug addicts and, and like old beer cheap beer prices in Toronto are the fucking worst yeah well because you go out to get a pint it's like $8 now I'm like what the fuck like every other country you go to like the, the beer's better for the most part unless you're getting like really good craft yeah. beer and i don't understand like, like sometimes you'll order a cheap beer from a bartender or a server they're not making any of the the margins but they'll look down on you for buying <laughs> you're gonna get your loony tip yeah, like what the fuck do you care what it's I like think? it's a fucking in ontario ba- racket though, we're, like. we're in belgium you're getting like the best fucking beer in the world it's like seven or seven to ten percent so mm. you get fucking loaded it's like two dollars and you don't have to tip and you're like, mm. so how do they make it work? It's just it's it, it is cheap it, to produce. Like, you can't like you're charging five bucks for a Canadian, like you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's but mass. I what produce, happens is like, like the cheaper the beer is, and the more beer halls, and the bigger part of it is in the culture. You just make it up in volume. Like the thing that's weird about Toronto is like it's really a coffee city. It's not really a beer city. So I don't know if that's true, Jesse. <laughs> Man, people love beer. Their shows and beer are so synonymous here. That, like, when you have a DIY spot or, like, a place where there's shows and there isn't beer, it's hard, uh, really hard to get people to get out yeah. and, like, have fun. Mm-hmm. You don't get the same kind of, like, audience participation in a place with no beer because people are kind of sadly dependent on yeah, drinking to, to have fun. Yeah, to socially. loosen up. Like, they'll just be, I'll ask friends, I'll like, oh, you want to go see this band? And it'll, the reaction will be, ah, I don't really feel like drinking tonight. Like that isn't the question that I asked yeah, you. I just wanted you to see I that. I, this well, band is really sweet. Unless it's like a Ticketmaster show, and then it's like $14 for a pint. What do you think Yeah. It, what do you think about like five years from now? It actually is a, that expensive. $14 for... Oh, Jesus. At like a One big beer. stadium event? Oh, big time. Of hockey, like how much do they charge of that Oh, stuff? it's like I was at a baseball game last summer, and the it was a, a can of like Moosehead or something like that. It was a, it was $11. Ah. A tall can was $11, so every time it was just like, I spent $33 and only had three beers. And then you can't get drunk at those events. No, and that's why that powdered alcohol shit and that seems to is be creeping up. What the fuck is they, this? They figured out a way to, to make powdered alcohol, mm-hmm. and you can just mix it into water, and it reconstitutes itself, or you can just like eat it if you want. But it's, it's meant to come sort of like flavor-packed to be like a pre-mixed, like vodka drink like a vodka crayon in a pouch kind of like a kool-aid or like a this water flavoring awesome thing. for those events yeah that's what they're marketing as too it was it's gonna hit stores in the states at some point in like the near future yeah, i don't know if that will get through here but i could totally see the states doing that yeah it'll be like oh are you tired of paying a bunch of money at a baseball and game? buying like a kool-aid thing of 
of alcohol. It'd be so hard to control. There'd be a I lot of think, theft of it. I don't think it. they'll do it here. It's funny how indoctrinated we are that we're immediately like, well, yeah, but how do we control it and stuff like that? Because, I mean, it, it's going to be legal. Like, how do you even regulate it? You can't stop, like, packages from yeah, coming to the Yeah, but they caffeine. own all the stores here. Oh, yeah, but you wouldn't need to sell it in the store, I don't think. Well, oh yeah, no. Well, if it's well, alcoholic, then it's gonna be it's gonna be controlled. It's gotta be in the beer store at LCBO, at least in Ontario. So then, how are we gonna get it? Because hmm. they probably won't carry it, right? But you can't just order it online. I don't think that it would be a problem. That's a hmm. Seems like well, a lot of effort to go to. It's like yeah, this hockey game's coming up. Well, better uh, get online and order that. I guess Kool-Aid. you could stock up since it's dried out. It probably stays, it keeps for a long time. Yeah, you could just buy a. So you could just buy a big bulk amount of alcohol. Maybe they have like those like, what are those protein containers? Oh <laughs> like, my god, we should become buckets. okay. Okay, this is what we got. We're gonna do start smuggle project. these. We'll become like uh, powdered alcohol drug dealers, and we'll go to events and stuff, and we'll have like a trench coat with all of the different flavors on the inside. We go up to people, we go like, you don't want to pay for those $12 beers, do you? I can see it in your eyes. How about some of this? Well, and the the unfortunate thing is they've already... naked under there? (laughs) They found out you can snort it. Like, you can snort it, and it gets you drunk. Oh, Why is course. that every time there's a powder, like, yeah, someone's like, like I, I'll, I'll try to snort it. Encephalation. It's like a, I don't know, it's a popular thing. And just imagine how that's going to affect the drug scene in a weird way, where, like, coke starts getting cut with alcohol. So you get those coked-up, drunken alcoholists, uh, like, alcohol assholes. Uh, no. From one thing, though? They're not even drinking? They're just fucking hammering lines of booze? Oh, God. Or you're at the bar, and they're doing lines, lines of... Of JD. <laughs> oh man, that would be such a weird. That's Imagine, dirty. okay, so a powder becomes legal. It becomes legal to snort a powder like that. Like, do those bars start popping up where it's like the at first it starts like a fancy trend in yeah, LA like, where they're like, oh, it's can I come get, a, get fine crystallized yeah. alcohol. Can I have a line of Corona, please? A line of Corona? Can I get a tequila? We're gonna get crazy. Let's get the lines of tequila. Yeah. <laughs> the salt on there. It's got lemon. Lemon. Snort the salt. It's got lemon oh. zest in it. <laughs> you burn your sinuses out. Squirt, Brittany, no! squirt lemon juice in your nose. Oh, man. You look hot tonight, bitch. <laughs> snort, snort this tequila off of my tits. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's re- That's like a... It sucks that, yeah, every, no one can control themselves. It's always like immediately like, oh, there's a powder. Let's fucking snort it and see if we can get high on it. Mm-hmm. Signs of the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> Bath salts. Yeah, that shit got out of control. Yeah, it's weird. But I think they've got a handle on it now. They're making they're making the kind of basic building blocks of it like illegal to sell as just like you know weird yeah. little packages. And I guess knowing the government, the reaction would be let's just ban all bath salts. <laughs> Who needs bath salts? They're not that popular. Yeah, the bath salt community gets all upset. Jessica's in the bath salt community. Is she? Find my like, magnesium powder. It's a great get, way to absorb magnesium. She get fucked up on it? No. <laughs> <laughs> she getting all cranked up in the bath? Okay, so how does that work, right? Like, I know that um, they use the branding in order to skirt laws, but how do you know that it's actually drugs and not bath salts? Because they sell it in fucking head shops. Okay. So you go to the head shop and you know that if you see bath salts in a head shop... Yeah. It's going to be drugs. It, and and, the, and basically what it's made of is like something that could pass. It, is, it isn't illegal and it could pass for a something, you an additive to your bath. It's like relaxation or aromatic, but it's like an emulative 
like an amphetamine. It's just like an in the amphetamine family or in like, you know, a, pro uh, a proximity to cocaine. <laughs> I guess my question is, um, imagine you were bathing in the drugs <laughs> and you realized that, That's a start. Like, does it work both ways? Is no, that how they get around the laws? It's like, you can use it in your bath. It's great. It gets you high. Yeah, I wonder if... I, wonder, I don't think it would absorb your skin. It would be kind of skin. fucked up. Yeah. You it's, absorb the drugs to your skin, your skin starts rotting off. My mom's always so happy after she has her bath. <laughs> and then she attacks you and tries to eat your face. <laughs> I love that that was like, for a little while, that was going to be the new epidemic. Face Z zombie, zombie apocalypse through bath salt addicts. Yeah. Eating faces. I wonder. It's got to be some part I was, of the. But what the fuck was the deal with that? Was that did they actually prove who was bath salts? Because I heard that it wasn't even. I feel like if you have the capacity to eat someone's face, it's not going to be a particular drug that makes you do it. I think it's Something just the a trigger. Yeah, the the person just kind I'm of so maybe always hungry. wanted to eat up someone's face. I haven't really ever felt like that. No, I've never, I've chimps, never had a. Chimps do it naturally. That's one of their their things. Their superpowers. They're war dead. They eat all the faces of the war dead. They eat it. And it, and your keeper, like your your loving human keeper, that's been changing your diapers and stuff for years. They start to rub you the wrong way after at adolescence, and then you're like, I'm gonna fucking eat her face. Oh man, remember that lady, the lady with no face, and yeah. it's like her monkey flipped out. And then she called her neighbor. Her neighbor like valiantly came over to try and fight the monkey, and the monkey just clawed her face to bits. Yeah, tore her, her hands off. Tore. Her, yeah, yeah. That's you don't tangle with a fucking monkey, man. Their their grip strength is incredible. Mm -hmm. They could fucking just rip you, rip one of your limbs off. Yeah, we saw Planet of the Apes. <laughs> you saw it, and then you won. What'd you think? I loved it. Yeah, I like yeah. It. I'm a big Planet of the Apes fan. Someone though. someone described it to me the other day. They said they said. This is what the gonna, what's going to want to make you want to see the movie. There's a scene in which a chimp is riding on the back of a horse with two yeah, machine guns. Yeah, that's the only reason we went to the movie. Through the fire, just firing wildly into the air. That's how Cam sold it. It's mm -hmm. like there's a monkey on a horse. Firing machine guns. Yeah. And yep. we're like, we got to go. You think to yourself, okay, this is going to be cool in a Michael Bay type of way. But when you watch the movie, you're like... No, I believe that is a, that they really got a monkey and they taught him how to ride a horse. <laughs> and I kind of also believe that monkeys are capable of trying to take over the world. Like it was a very ridiculous concept that they managed to sell just with. But even the original ones, like because I have the box set of all the original ones, and yeah. like there's a lot of social commentary in those movies. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, oh yeah, they. I don't know. They they try to make it as I mean, it looks retarded now, but it, it was they were definitely trying to make a statement and try to make it kind of believable. Yeah, it felt Trip like the soundtrack on it, the original. It was kind of a little bit about like racial segregation and like xenophobia yeah, totally. and stuff like that. Then and it progresses because like, everybody only thinks of the first one, but there's like five of those. Yeah, I remember there's one. There's, there's one with Caesar in it, like that character, and he actually like he they almost it's almost like the first. Planet of the Apes movie mm -hmm. where they're in the the jail cells and stuff. Mm -hmm. they, oh, they, yeah. they did that movie like it's like almost like a remake in a way. Mm -hmm. And Caesar's like, you know, rises. He's like from the futuristic apes. Is Caesar and he a kind little of like, kid dressed up like a monkey person, or did they get a chimp to be? Caesar? Well, what happens is uh, this is a complicated story, but <laughs> in the third, I think in the third one, 
uh, two of the monkeys land on Earth from space from the future, <laughs> and they have a baby. And at the end, they everybody always dies at the end of all the Planet Apes movies too. Yeah, yeah. But th- they get killed. But like the baby like lives on, and in the next one, he's like grown up already. Oh. And he's like the only one of these smart monkeys, but he's like in, they put him in a jail with all these other monkeys, and he like becomes he the naked? leader of them. Is he naked? No, he mammal? wears he wears like they put them in like prison clothes. So he's a manimal prison in monkeys? monkey jail. It's like a yeah, mo- like it's a prison monkey movie, and then they like <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. And then they they overtake the jail and like the only is he surrounded by actual monkeys or are they more kind of manimal monkeys? They're a bit more animal, but than him. He's a little bit smarter. But are they played by humans in costumes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of freaking work, man. They must have done makeup to like 300 people at a oh, time. Oh, yeah. I remember just one sequel where there's like a bunch of mind reading, like Master yeah, Monkeys. Yeah, that one, I don't even understand what the hell that is. I just remember is. watching that when I had the flu on TV. I was That's like the super fluish. It's beneath the planet of the Apes. Yeah, beneath and they're the worshiping the nuclear weapon. Yeah, yeah that yeah. one. Mm-hmm. That's so weird. And they're like, they have that mental capability. Oh, of, was, like, yeah, that, I had such a vague like memory of it because I was all like fucked up on just like being sick, which is like probably one of the most awesome hallucinogenics mm-hmm. that I ever end up experiencing. Like whenever the I flu- get really f- mm-hmm. fluish, it's way more like awesome and who's like if i can kind of deal with the shitty parts of being well, just sick, do a lot of like uh cold meds cold meds and then just like you're f- kind of drawing in and out of these amazing flu dreams all the time oh it's fucking great and watching movies like that where they're really slow paced and have like these really mm-hmm. broad ideas it's just great the worst is when you get caught in one of those geometric fever dreams where you can't stop dreaming about like triangles and, and crazy <laughs> abstract stuff oh those drive it's fucking crazy i hate those nightmares that just have absolutely no basis in narrative or anything it's i don't think i've had that dream. i don't yeah that? i don't oh, think God. i've ever had a dream about just, triangles just like i guess them too it's crazy like, those damn triangle dreams triangle <laughs> dreams oh the tri- like the triangles are chasing you or they're just like flashing triangles it's like you know how most the time when you're dreaming it has some semblance in like narrative and reality oh yeah it's like characters and things that are happening yeah. If, when I get um, certain levels of fever, it all just goes abstract and it becomes like just these swirling colors that are in your head whenever you close your eyes and you can't break out of it. And it's an it's awful, like doing awful That experience. sounds terrifying. Yeah, I've never had terrible. that before. I have really cinematic dreams to begin with. So mm-hmm. when I get really fluish or I take like psychedelic drugs, uh, I, I have really, really like narrative based dreams mm-hmm. like i had i remember when sun tv like when they still were broadcasting tv freed analog we were living at the manning house i had just a super flu and was just in bed watching sun tv and like drifting in and out of this dream and i had like what felt like a nine-hour dream about being on a planet covered in robots and ha- like waking up all the robots, like this little robot kind of tricking me into turning the planet back on, and then hours of me in a little pod floating through space, watching planet after planet like come back to life in vivid detail, like flying over them and seeing all the machines like turn on and start flying. Do you flying. suspect that this is the secret hidden message in Sun TV? <laughs> There's something enlightening in there. Oh no! It, but it, it was just it's like, like a new Matrix movie. Yeah. Oh, it's it's per. You I just sell that one. Oh, I did. Like, there's been a couple oh, times where no, I didn't sell it, but I, 
I did think I did Whoa. think about writing it out and sort of fleshing it out. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I've already sold it. We're watching it right now. Triangles! <laughs> triangles! I'm I'm kinda I'm terrified but also sort of intrigued to have a triangle dream. Yeah, I want a triangle dream. I don't recommend it. Geomet- geometric shape dream sounds pretty great to me. And it was it was similar. It's somewhere in my brain because the same thing happened. My only bad mushroom trip. Yeah, it sounds like take, a mushroom trip. I decided to take mushrooms by myself around Christmas time after I got my appendix out. And uh, it was one of those trips where it's like, you can't wait for it to be over. But, you know, you got another like two hours of a hurt ahead of you. And that's the worst when you try to like shrug off a drug because yeah, like, if, if it well, bites I'm you. I'm just going to go to bed and then triangles. <laughs> <laughs> And every single you can't fight it, man. No, there's no there. And like, I feel like that thought pattern of like, oh, I can't wait for this to be over only ever makes it, it worse. Makes it yeah. worse. It's a it cyclical of like, ah, oh, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, no, you just got to be like, I got to make this fun. You got to, I always do that. I get, if go I get into a dark place, it's like, go fun, put on something lighthearted, watch total recall. Yeah. I mean, I should have gone for a walk, but I, I always get afraid to go outside when I'm in mushrooms. <laughs> You know, you always think that you're going to be much more incapacitated than you really are. Like, you're going to walk out into traffic by accident. But really, you, you know, still got you know, I think, wits about you most of the time. Uh, podcast uh, concept, pause, I think. Wireless microphones plus mushrooms plus high park. <laughs> or just get a, in it a small room. It always sounds great, but w- whenever you listen to any of those things back, it's just like... Yeah, because I can't talk when I'm well, on mushrooms. Uh, <laughs> No, I would say do acid instead. Triangles. I think I think acid on a low dose, like a, a couple people in a room yeah, on acid and low dose, would be really really fun. Yeah, and that I'm, could be the clue episode. We'll it's play much clue. More talkative. Clue on acid. We'll play clue. We'll solve ah, a mystery together on acid. Okay, I'm down if you can find it. I, I haven't been able to find. I know. Acid in ten years. I I for any police listening, I don't know where to get it. <laughs> <laughs> We're just. This is a satire podcast. Satire. We're talking about things that don't actually happen, and we're playing characters. Be My Bob. name's Bobby. Would, would you be I'm down for Bobby. something like that? Uh, <laughs> fake Dean Senos. <laughs> fake Dean. You never had acid, I. Yes, I have. Did oh, you? Yeah. What'd you think? Yeah, well, it was kind of one of those things where I was couldn't wait for it to be over by the end. Oh shit! What was the situation when you did it? If you don't mind recollecting. Uh, I was actually recently. Mm. Really? We were in, we were in Amsterdam. Oh yeah, that might not I be just the went right place. Full tilt, but it was just like it was already. F- we did it at, at like five in the morning. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and I was just like, oh, s- okay, <laughs> here we go. I just had to. Yeah, no, it's way better in like a, a super familiar. The, the guy we were place. staying with ended up in a, a leopard skin bathrobe, and he had a and he had a gun, and we were biking around, and he was just like. He just went full crazy. We found him on like. <laughs> he had a gun. Yeah, like he was. Kind sh- of was gun. he shooting it? It was. It wasn't like a super lethal gun, you know. It's kind of, but just the whole sight of this guy with the robe and the gun, and, and we were biking Jesus. around, and he was just like shooting stuff, and. Yeah, that sounds with uh, actual bullets. Well, I don't know what or it was like. Pellet gun. I don't know what kind of gun it was. It wasn't like you know. It wasn't a. It was like more. I guess it was just a pelican then. Okay. <laughs> That's still pretty did, hilarious. Did it leave yeah. holes in things, or did it just make? Yeah, it, like noise? I wouldn't shoot at somebody. <laughs> That's not the gun. Did you get the acid? <laughs> did 
Did you get the acid from him? Or he's, there was, was he two like, guys. Well, what? we were out for like the whole night, and then we were staying with this guy and this other like his little tiny friend, and he's awesome. He's actually a really good musician, and he just he's like, yeah, I got some at my house that I stole from some guy that killed a bunch of people or something. I don't know. So what? Like, it was really weird story. This, okay, so like this here and loathing. Yeah, this is like uh, everything. Everything that like a. a a drug, uh, a drug guy, like someone who's done a lot of drugs, would be like, "Ah, oh, this is not a good situation." You're getting it from a guy who's telling you he stole it from someone who kills people, and you're hanging out with a, a crazy dude with a gun who's just in a bathrobe. <laughs> he likes to do drugs and ride a bicycle <laughs> in the nude, basically, in a bathrobe. That actually sounds pretty fun, though. <laughs> I feel, I feel like I'd have a pretty good time. It was Amsterdam. Just gotta. And was it? You weren't expecting it, the trip to go as long as it did, like. It goes six hours or something. Oh, right? way more than that. Seven hours. A good strong dose. Oh, I felt dose. it into the next day. Yeah. It basically all became one big day. And I don't know what how Brendan feels about it, but it does open up a layer of your consciousness where if you get stressed again, you might have a flashback. I had a couple of oh. flashbacks for... No, no, no. Not a big deal. Yeah. But I'm just saying that, like, you might see... Triangles! <laughs> texture swim or something in like the coming months or whatever if you get into a, a situation where you haven't had enough sleep or you're under stress or whatever i'm i'm a huge advocate of lsd in that it's really clean it flushes out of your body in like 72 hours doesn't stick to your spine or any of that propaganda bullshit mm-hmm. it's a very very clean very like easy to digest chemical and it has like the potential for flashback is probably is on you and mm-hmm. on like mental stability and and, yeah. and history, B- but I've like you know personally done it a lot. When I was a, a teenager, I I like found it. It was like my best friend for a little while because it's like this drug that I could sit and play guitar for like twelve hours. I could take all that like creative psychedelic energy and I could focus it in on one task. Mm-hmm. Or I just like play StarCraft. Yeah. I'd put StarCraft on and just Starcraft micromanage. And like, you know, the first time you do it, it's this like really <clears throat> big, crazy thing because you don't know what to expect. But every subsequent time that you try it, um, it teaches you a little something about like your thought process. And especially if like you do it with your friends, you learn more about each other than you probably ever will mm-hmm. during an acid trip. Like I, our, on our first one, it, I did it for the first time with like probably six or seven other friends who had mm-hmm. never done it before in like a small apartment with a few people who had done it before. And before the end of the night was out, like we had broken into an abandoned apartment and stolen like 20 pool cues and we're fighting with them in the rain and had like painted our faces when running around downtown Brantford, like (coughs) just having sword (coughs) fights. And like we saw Space Ghost coast to coast the first time and we had all these like really kind of interesting really intimidating conversations with one another that we probably would have never had Mm -hmm. otherwise because like the social graces of us like hanging around with all each other all the time all broke down yeah they all broke down and suddenly we were asking each other (laughs) really like personal things and not getting afraid to answer them like getting really it dissolves the ego pretty quickly it's a it was a beautiful thing where I, i learned a lot about my friends and about myself and for the next few days the sort of afterglow it's the only drug i can recall that has a positive hangover where the next day and the day after like food sort of has like a nicer taste and Mm -hmm. colors are a bit brighter Mm -hmm. and whenever you smoke pot you get like a little bit comes back but just a really nice kind of dose of it where Mm -hmm. you're just like you start thinking about things and your mind gets like really active yeah it's a fucking 
shame that that drug had such a hard propaganda campaign run against it the same way weed mm-hmm. had run against it and i wonder if it someday will be the and same see, thing it's it's so it's so strange and so telling when you talk to people about uh whether they've experimented with it and the fear that's associated with it where people are just like oh no i never tried that that's well too the hardcore. thing too is like i think like, the oh. way how far uh drugs have come uh they're way more engineered they're being sold on mass scale like they've they figured out better formulas like acid is not a guaranteed good time it might be mind expanding but people do have bad trips you can't handle your shit you're gonna fucking lose your shit on acid where it's like you a lot of these pharmaceutical drugs they've engineered them in a way where you're like you're gonna have a good time there's like no choice like that's what it's made for and that's what people are like just not feeling anything or blah yeah. blah and that's what's so addictive about it because yeah that's what kind of scares just me getting about better it. at it and they're marketing it to you i like i like the mystery the air of mystery around a drug like acid where it's like yeah maybe you might not have like the greatest time but that's like part of the gamble yeah. whereas like something like oxycontin yeah it's fucking addictive because everyone's like it's just a guaranteed like ah like everything feels fine. I think Dean's getting ready to I, take his yeah, headphones sorry, off. Sorry, I gotta go. Uh, well, I have one sorry. more quick story. Well, no, you know what? I think I think what we should do is call it, release this as a minisode, and we'll have we'll have to have him back on as soon as possible. I don't and mind coming back like another time. Man. I lived down the street. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. It's no, or we don't want to release it as a minisode. I already had uh, an episode with Winston Hacking on Tuesday, so we can do something. Add, you want to add on to this? Yeah, we'll okay. have Dean Zeno's part two uh, to be continued. But I wanted to, since we're on the acid thing, I want to quick and like add the thing. Just yeah, anyway. okay. So like my trip was um, interesting. Like for for one thing, I have no idea how much acid I've actually had. Yeah. Because we just got sugar cubes, right? And oh, for the yeah. longest time, I would hear people's anecdotes about uh, doing seven hits, seven tabs of acid, eight tabs of acid. I'm like. How in the fuck is that even possible? I had one sugar cube, yeah. and we were launched into another dimension. But it's like, you have no idea how much you took on that. Each each sugar cube could have had, like, four or five tabs on it, you know? Yeah. And um, so what happened was we were in uh, probably second year of college, and um, it was on summer break, and my friend Steve uh, got us the sugar cubes. And uh, me and my girlfriend and Steve went down to the basement of our Sony Creek house and we locked all the doors and we put on like yellow submarine and uh, we dissolved the sugar cubes. And within like an hour, Steve's head had become like as huge as a pumpkin. And it's funny (laughs) if you know Chabot because like he's got a big head to begin with, but he used to have like kind of Paul McCartney Beatles haircuts type of deal. Yeah. And he was getting like so manic and stuff off the drugs that like his hair was all messed up and it gave like the optical illusion that he had like this giant green pumpkin head. And, um, have you ever tried to kiss somebody when you're on acid? Yeah. I was, uh, I tried to kiss my ex-girlfriend Karen and like, it was so strange because you felt like you were two amoebas and that like you kind of bled into one another. Like when you'd make contact. Yeah. Peace out, Dean. Bye, Dean. So, that was part one of Dean Zenos. We'll be back with part two. You don't want to hear the end of my story? Oh, finish it up. <laughs> so, like, uh, we became these these gelatinous amoeba organisms down on the ground. where We're kissing each other, but, like, your limbs kind of, like, fuse together into some oh, sort God. of putty. And I think of David Cronenberg movie. Pl- 
pleasant. It wasn't pleasant, but it wasn't unpleasant. The, in general, like I felt like the the whole world had become kind of gelatinous. Like the ground feels very unsteady, and yeah. walls become kind of like rubbery. You can like push into stuff, and you kind of feel like you're dissolving into the environment. Yeah, yeah, that I, sounds like a high dose of acid to me. Mm-hmm. You probably had like more than more than a, a normal one. I was surprised. Um, the most surprising thing about it was that I expected. You know, when you drink a lot of booze, Mm -hmm. there's that very clear... Or when you take mushrooms, there's a very clear uh, feeling of, like, inebriation, right? Where you either get woozy or a sick kind of feeling. And you get the feeling that, like, you're seeing the world through some sort of induced lens flare or Photoshop filter. Whereas acid, it felt like I was sober, except there was legitimate hallucination going on. Yeah. Right? Where you look at certain things and you go like, yeah, I feel perfectly normal, except the walls are slowly closing in and the <laughs> lava lamp has turned into some sort of gelatinous slug type thing and it's moving across the counter. And really making me want to do acid. Big pumpkin head. Peter um, pumpkin And so like we're tripping balls and we're sitting on the couch and all of a sudden we hear like a knock on the door upstairs. We're like, oh, fuck, we can't handle this. And there's like a jimmy of the lock. And then the sound of like a coat hanger going into the lock and opening up the door. Yeah. And then somebody comes down the stairs and we try to like hide in the couch cushions, you know, like you do. And it's my sister. It's my like uh, 13-year-old sister. And she's come home with a giant like poodle haircut, like a head full of like blonde perm, (laughs) right? And she's like... uh, She's looming over us on the couch as we try to, like, hide from her. And she's just like, what's wrong, guys? And she's got this giant poodle <laughs> hair. And it's just, like, extending towards me. And I'm like, oh, my God. Right? I can't even, I can't even, I can't even control, like, how afraid I am. But, like, exhilarated at the same time. Like, when you go on a roller coaster or whatever, you're like, oh, yeah. God, is she going to hit us? Is she going to tell our parents? <laughs> right? And then she was just kind of like, you guys are acting weird. And then she went up to her room. I actually should talk to Jill about it, like, now. And tell her. See if she remembers what was that, that experience. Um, so she left. And then we were like, oh, we're getting a little peckish. Kind of find some, some grub, right? But we're terrified that, like, people are going to judge us for being on drugs. So we checked out the coast is clear. And we sneak up to the, the kitchen. And we get in there, and there's, like, two options. There's, like, a, a box full of Joe Louis, and then there's um, some tomatoes that we had gotten from, like, Peach Country. So they're, like, real nice farm-fresh Ontario tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're, we're plowing into the the, uh, the Joe Louis first. And it's, like, as soon as that, like, synthetic cake and, like, um, white icing and stuff touches your mouth, the acid, like, tells you this is wrong like you, you feel like how synthetic it, the chocolate is and how it's like just wax and yeah it's kind of too dry and stuff and it falls out of your mouth and so that was like immediately thrown away it's just like one bite in it and then you take a bite of like a tomato yeah and like the juice hits your mouth and you can like i don't know you can feel that it's alive somehow from the drugs yeah and it was, like, the best tomato ever. So we both, like, uh, got, like, handfuls of tomatoes, and we decided to, like, go out onto the back lawn and have a sit in the grass because it was a nice night. And um, at the time, my great aunt was living with us. Okay. So she's, like, an 80-year-old woman, and she hears these, like, people fumbling around in the kitchen, and she wakes up, and she comes out in her nightgown to investigate. And 
we are not ready for another intruder. So we just book it out of there because like she's so disturbing looking right with like her old blue feet and her old face and stuff. Yeah. And we're hiding in the grass and we're just like watching this like old woman walk past the windows and stuff and look out and spy at us and stuff. Oh God, it was terrifying. Did you, did you ever run when you were high? Um, no, I rode a bike. I've, I, it used to be my, sort of my like end of the night deal was after like a night of partying and like taking a drug I'd never taken before. Mm-hmm. I'd go on a bike ride, like a nighttime bike ride through Brantford, which is like, you know, a pretty quiet place at night. There's no one driving around. It's a lot of just like dead streets. So you can just ride and ride and ride like no handed mm-hmm. through like the entire city and never have to like stop at lights or, you know, you can bomb down these hills. That, pretty much every drug there is is really fun to ride to ride too. a bike on yeah yeah but riding a bike in, in general is like a a really nice like natural like propelling feeling mm-hmm. something that like i find really like exhilarating um but not in like a like i want to bike in a race kind of thing but like when i'm biking by myself like in a peaceful moment it's just so like meditative mm-hmm. so on drugs it's you know even more Everything's better on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's call it and then be back with part two. <laughs>